Financial planning, financial advice is probably more of an art than a science. Um, so there isn't sort of a right or wrong answer. Uh, all that we want to do is sort of guide you through the financial jungle. Welcome to The Wagon Live, where each week we bring you stories from entrepreneurs around the world. This week, we're talking to Max Rafaga, the founder of Finimize, a UK startup making personal finance more accessible. The company was founded in 2015, and by 2016, Max was named as one of Forbes magazine's 30 Under 30. Needless to say, he's a really interesting guy, and I think you're going to enjoy it. So as uh, Ed was saying, my name is Max. Um, I'm originally from Berlin, um, but I always like to say I, kinda, I left when the city started getting cool because um, I graduated from high school and uh, then sort of studied here in the, U- in the UK f- uh, for three years and in the US, actually uh, in Charlottesville, uh, now everybody knows it, um, for a year. And uh, then sort of really randomly ended up in Switzerland, uh, where with a couple of friends we started a company called Dein Deal, which essentially means your deal in, in German. And we sort of started it off as a very sort of niche uh, e-commerce platform, um, and then that grew really, really quickly. So within like four to five years, we, we were um, the second largest e-commerce platform within Switzerland. Um, so we had like a 25% of all households were shopping with us roughly. And we had a higher brand awareness than British Airways, which was like our favorite stat. Um, and ultimately, we were like a pretty big fish in a, in a small but very, very wealthy uh, pond. And uh, at the end of 2015, essentially uh, sold the company to the largest media house in Switzerland called Ringier. And then I basically came to London. I never really set out like, hey, I want to do e-commerce. It was more like I wanted to sort of get in or like stay in the, in the online world. And then like that thing came up. We can talk about that if that's of interest. Um, and uh, essentially, sort of while I was living in Switzerland, I, I started sort of encountering this problem that um, then led me to start Finimize, which was kind of a very simple problem, actually. Um, what happened was that everybody around me, sort of my, my parents, uh, the media, like everybody was like, hey, you're in your mid-late 20s now, you've got to start saving some money. And so I kind of took that to heart and one day just started, you know, setting up like a direct debit, I think, from my salary onto my savings account and started saving every month and then kind of like one day just took out my phone like opened my bank account and I realized awesome like I have some savings now uh, it wasn't life-changing or anything but it was like the amount where you would start want to start thinking about what you want to do with it and uh, then I kind of embarrassingly even though I studied economics I had to admit to myself that I had no clue what to do with these savings and so I just left them on my savings account in cash and then I started like asking some friends, like, hey, what do you guys do? And a lot of them were bankers here in the city. And I very quickly realized that when it came to their personal finances, they were also very clueless. Like, they could do really complex M&A deals, but like, uh, they couldn't do sort of a very basic financial plan because we were never taught. And then I basically went to go seek professional advice, went to go speak just to sort of my bank around the corner because uh, I couldn't afford to go to financial advisor at the time. And basically all that that banker did was ask me a bunch of like super generic questions, probably something that she had been sort of handed to her in, in a questionnaire catalog uh, that morning and ultimately sort of laid out all of the pamphlets from their bank's products onto the table. And I was like, okay, well, there's like other stuff that I could probably do as well. And they essentially was a sales pitch for their own products. And then pretty frustrated by that experience, went online and I just couldn't find anything that would provide me with really independent, holistic financial advice. 
And that's when I started realizing, okay, I'm probably not the only buddy who has some savings and doesn't know what to do with them. Uh, started digging around a bit, realized that actually 86% of people like myself, so in their late 20s, early 30s, um, actually save money each month, um, but they keep more than 50% of those savings in cash because there isn't really a suitable way for people like that to get financial advice. And that was ultimately the genesis, I guess, of Finimize. Um, so it's really sort of the cliche startup story, like I had a problem and then nobody was fixing it, so I went out and tried to fix it. Um, whether I'll be successful is yet to be seen. So I kind of was in, in school, um, as I sort of hit puberty, I kind of um, was turned a bit sort of on the geeky side and started like building websites and stuff like that and um, spent my lunch periods um, building HTML websites with like Dreamweaver at the time. Um, and my first, I was the first kid in, in my school who had a website and it had, uh, all I did was I had this book with Bart Simpson jokes and I just typed it and then that was my website. And then... Like people thought it was really cool, and they were all like, oh, awesome, you have a website. And it was like geocities.com slash whatever. Like, I don't know if you guys still remember that time. Uh, probably most of the people on my team don't because <laughs> don't, they're too young. Um, and so I was kind of always really interested in that. And then I kind of went to university, did economics, and then everybody's like, hey, you want to be a banker? And like, you want to maybe do consulting? And then I kind of like got distracted by that a little bit. Um, and then I sort of did a consulting gig for a year and found myself just reading every day TechCrunch and was like, ah, oh, fuck, what am I doing here? And then I had a friend from high school who's kind of the same. He always want, we always wanted to do something. So long story short, um, we decided that we wanted to do a website that would allow people to customize chocolate. And we, so you could like ch choose sort of which ingredients, you could write stuff on it. Because, and this was the only reason, because he had done an internship at a company in Berlin that did that. And so we were like, okay, we'll just do this in, in London. And we uh, had found a chocolate factory, like I think in Hackney or something, um, like had everything set. And then I was like, I never eat chocolate. I like really don't care about chocolate. Like this is probably a bad idea to start a chocolate company. <laughs> <laughs> and then we're like, okay, let's do something else. He had studied in Switzerland. And so then basically a, a student friendship had developed with another guy who was Swiss. He was like, hey, we're going to start this e-commerce company. Then my friend was like, hey, do you want to join us? Then I basically said, okay, um, I kind of just want to do anything. Um, and then moved to Switzerland, and then we started the, this e-commerce company. And uh, probably one thing to add at the time, there was this big Groupon hype, and so we started off with this daily deal model, uh, and that allowed us to like, grow really, really quickly. And um, the, the thing that we did that sort of distinguished us, which is kind of why we're still alive, is that we very quickly moved away from the daily deals and we sort of really set up our own supply chain. Um, so that's why we were like a full-on e-commerce uh, platform. Um, and that's kind of how I got into e-commerce. Sort of in hindsight, actually, I think e-commerce was the best way to get started because there's like very, very little product market fit, like none of that shit. You just like have to build a website, sell stuff, and that's it. Uh, the, the challenge is in the sort of detail, like, you know, uh, estimating delivery time, like expanding your inventory. It's like all very operational. Um, but anybody with a common sort of sense uh, and some raw intelligence can figure that stuff out. Uh, obviously, then doing an Amazon is that's like a way different game. But like, it was just pure execution. And there was none of the stuff that we're doing now at Finimize where it's like, oh, what if this feature, will this help retention or whatever? 
it was very, very straightforward and, and it was a great way to sort of learn the bread and butter of, of starting a business. So we, like I said, we started off with this daily deal stuff because that was just, you know, it was just exploding. Uh, and so that was a, an amazing way how to grow user base. Um, and then we kind of like looked at, the, looked at America, then you had all these shopping clubs. Uh, there, were, there was this thing called Guilt Group. They were really big. Um, so we're like, oh, maybe we'll just do the Guild Group for, for Switzerland. And I think that thinking we can touch on a little bit as well is like, there wasn't really that much of a sort of mission. We were just building a company and trying to increase revenue as fast as possible. Um, and so we're like, oh, we'll just do then a Guild. And then we're like, um, ah, then Guild just kind of like uh, went bankrupt nearly in America. And we're like, okay, let's not do Guild. Let's do more of like an Amazon. And then we're like, okay, let's do Amazon. And then we built our own warehouse and we started like taking inventory and we started doing consignment and we started then building a marketplace. And that was definitely the right decision because that was much more of a sustainable model. Um, but we kind of like really morphed. And, and, and I guess like to our credit, maybe then uh, we were very good at sort of iterating it very quickly and just sort of, I don't like to say pivot, but like sort of adjusting to the, to the market conditions. Um, but I think the thing that we kind of lacked was we didn't really have this like big mission that we were pursuing. It was literally like, how can we make more money? Um, and and that's like that's a totally different uh, ballgame now with Finemark. We we grew probably way too fast. It's kind of the classic startup mistake that everybody sort of looks back at and is like, fuck, we need to fire 50 people uh, or 50 percent of everybody. Um, we. I think we, we grew really, really quickly in the beginning and we we're like, anybody who can sort of come to the office will just, like people literally were sitting on uh, turnaround uh, uh, beer, I don't know what the English word is, where you put beer, uh, beer custom in German. Like I don't know, like tray. beer tray. Crates. Yeah, beer crates. We turned around the crates and that was like their chair. Because um, we, I think we had to like move office three times within a year or something because we were like growing that fast. Um, and then, uh, I think we sort of at some point hit this point where we were like, okay, we now need to become profitable. Um, and then we had to sort of let go of, I don't know how many people, but like, not like massive, but like a decent amount where it started getting uh, sort of painful. Um, and that in itself was also a great experience, obviously. But uh, we probably could have like preempted that. I mean, you're always smarter in hindsight. Um, but we... We kind of just like went with the flow. It was, it was much more of this model of like, uh, we're growing so fast, how can we keep up? Rather than like, okay, this is where we want to be, this is how we're going to get there. And you also have to remember that we were based in Switzerland, which is not, at the time, certainly wasn't like a tech hub. Um, so it was really like get people, like train them up, and then like, and a lot of them have actually started really cool companies after, uh, which is kind of cool. So I think it was kind of like, at. Uh, we, we reached a point, like I said, when we had like 25% uh, household penetration, I think was what we calculated. And at that point, like, if you haven't, like, I, I was in Switzerland the other day, and this like old lady at the, at the cashier, we'd started chatting somehow, and uh, she knew of Dine Deal. Um, and it was basically like at that point, if you haven't heard of us, then you must have like lived in some like tiny remote village. Like everybody knew of us. And so, at that point, if you weren't shopping with us, then it was probably like you just didn't like what we were selling or you just didn't want it or whatever. And so we've kind of like reached that, what felt at least like a ceiling, presumably you probably could have gone further, but it felt a bit like a ceiling. We were used to this like hyper growth. And so it was much more about like optimizing stuff, reducing costs, uh, 
you know, at the end of the day, e-commerce is all about like how, how cheap can you get with, with uh, the fulfillment costs and all of that stuff. And it wasn't really about building, it was much more about like optimizing. And I think a lot of people who start companies are more builders. I mean, you have these great guys like Jeff Bezos who can do everything. But I think the most people who are founders are more the builders rather than the optimizers. And so for us, it was like, A, we were probably not the best people to do that. B, that wasn't really what got us out of bed in the morning. Uh, and then C, uh, we also sort of, uh, you know, at some, at some stage, you also have to return money to your investors. And sort of all of these things came together. And then we had a couple of offers, actually. And, uh, and then at one point, it was like, okay, we'd recruited really good people, not sort of thinking they were going to take over, but like we'd hit a stage where we had like really senior people in the management. And I was, I, I think I was the youngest guy actually in our management team. Um, and they were like all in their like 40s or, or whatever, and they like had done this before. And we're like, hey, you know, if we leave now, we can train these guys up and they can take over the company and it, it'll be a very smooth transition. It's not like the card house is going to collapse once we leave. And so it just felt like all the like, puzzle pieces were in the right place. And then we got this offer and we'd also been doing this for like five years. Like, I knew that I wanted to do something else. And then at some stage, you kind of got that like itch. Um, and I think, like I said, you know, one of the lessons has really been uh, we didn't from day one really focus on culture and mission and stuff like that. And so I think it was probably easier for us to let go than perhaps if we would have focused on that from day one. So like all these factors came together and then, you know, what happened happened. <laughs> so I kind of like knew what I, what I liked and what I didn't like. Um, so I didn't want to build the sort of executionally focused business because I had kind of done that. I didn't really want to do the sort of very kind of like rocket internet kind of style business. And, and I felt like that was going on in Berlin a lot. Uh, which is obviously massive generalization, but like I just felt for some reason like the, the London startup scene was a lot more creative. Um, so I, I kind of knew like this is a place where I think you can build a cool startup. Um, and then I wanted to build like a really, really mission driven company. Um, and going hand in hand with that, like f just finding like the most amazing people uh, who really believe in the mission and who just want to build an amazing company, not to sell, but like just to really build it. Um, and then I, we kind of like went about it like very iteratively um, in the sense of like, we actually focused quite a long, actually like really nailing what the problem was. Um, and a lot of people like friends or whatever here uh, who I sat down with and they really were like, okay, like, but actually like what problem are you trying to solve? And now I know very clearly like, oh, I had savings. I didn't know what to do with it. And now we're going to help you do that. But when we started Finimize, like that was not clear at all. It was kind of just like, oh, we want to explain finance. And it was more like, oh, there's a solution to sort of some problem, but we're not 100% sure what that problem was. So like we, we worked quite a lot conceptually on that. Um, and then we kind of uh, sat down and we're like, okay, one of the lessons actually also from Dino was at, at, that, at, this, at the end when we were sort of that large, we literally could sell anything. Like we, and the last sort of thing that I did when, before we left was like, we launched the sex toys category and like, we, everybody's like, no, Swiss people, they're too prude. They're never going to buy sex toys. And like, everybody was like buying sex toys with us. <laughs> and, Germans don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, so we were like, we were selling furniture, we were selling sex toys, we were selling fashion, like we were selling everything. And it was because we had people's attention and we, because we had that scale that, um, that we had that sort of immediate relationship with our users. And so I knew like, having that, that reach and that scale is going to be super, super valuable. And then, um, and you know, I, I definitely like 
as you probably, most people do, I went, I went like very naively into fintech. I mean, I went into e-commerce, I'd never been to a warehouse, I, I didn't even know how to calculate a gross margin. Um, like I, I knew nothing about, about retail. I actually thought it was the most boring thing you could probably do. Uh, and then I went into f to finance and I have no finance background. Yeah? So I guess there's always some naivete uh, going into these things. Um, but the, the, the way we then started was like, okay, like let's build up a community first and let's build up an audience first. And once you have that in place, then it's going to be a lot easier to start launching products. And so what we did, and we, we continue to do, is we were like, hey, you know, what if we just explain financial news to people? That will give us a reason to inter engage with them every day, um, and we can kind of just test the waters. And we basically put a website up uh, on WordPress um, and started writing these like, finance stories. Like, like who, who of you actually has heard of Finomize before, just so I have an idea? Okay, so actually a decent amount. So kind of like pretty much the same format as today, but it was just a website. So we launched it, um, and then like nobody went there. And then we're like, okay, maybe we just like email people that, hey, we have a new story on the website. Um, and so we literally just pulled all of our like contacts together and started emailing them, hey, you know, this is something we're doing. Maybe you want to check it out. And we started sending out these emails, and then we realized, hey, people are actually reading the email. And in the email, we just put the title of the story, and then we linked to the website. Uh, and then we, over time, started adding more and more content from the website into the email because we realized like, people were actually reading the email, probably at the time because they were like, oh, we're going to help these guys. Um, but then after a while, we basically just like, okay, people are reading the email. They're not looking at the website. Why don't we just take all the content and put it into the email? And that's when we like, started this newsletter. Uh, it was never that we like, sat down and were like, hey, we're going to start a newsletter. Uh, and you know, now if you speak with investors or whatever, people are like, oh, why are you not on Snapchat? And it's like, uh, email was so 2006 or whatever. And you're like, yeah, that's one way to look at it. But ultimately, what, what counts is having that contact and having that like, touch point with your end user. It doesn't really matter whether you use text message, email, Snapchat, or whatever. The great thing about email was, which we didn't sort of know, but like, figured out then, you know, everybody has an email. You don't need to download an app. You check it every day anyways. Like, it's really, really low barrier to entry, and that's what allowed us to, to sort of grow very quickly. And we've built this sort of community around this. We have like more than 130,000 people now. We didn't spend any money on marketing. It was all like product-driven growth. We did a lot of user testing. We did a lot of like surveys, like to really trying to figure out like, you know, what do people want? Um, and then that has allowed us to sort of build this community, and now we're saying, hey, you know, people have, we have people's attention. They, from what they're telling us, they, they really, really like what we're doing. And now let's like start sort of building this new product with them, which we call Finomize My Life, where we try sort of helping people figure out what they should be doing with their personal finances. And we could have sort of skipped all of that, and we probably would have, would have uh, been here uh, with this product, but it probably would have been something that nobody really cares about. Um, and it, it, we would have had this thing where it's like, oh, let's go on the street and ask people, do you like this? Let's do some user testing on with random people. Now we have a luxury where we can, where we can invite people and sit from our email and be like, hey, do you want to come in? Do you want to start testing with us? So and done the already. Because we've done the legwork already. And, and, they, and we, are, we have that like mind share every single day with these people. Um, so in hindsight, that was like definitely the longer winded route to take. But uh, I think definitely the right one and is also probably, or at least as a thesis, the more sustainable one in, in, in the long term. So, I mean, we did this thing where we, uh, um, we kind of really, really followed this one book in the beginning, uh, which I thought was really helpful. It was called Traction by Gabriel Weinberg. 
And this thing had this thing where, uh, this book had this sort of framework called the bullseye framework, which the idea in a nutshell was like, uh, the outer ring of a bullseye is like, you literally try anything you can imagine, um, sort of in terms of like reaching users, acquiring users. Uh, then you kind of like really document it, and we have this like somewhere on an Excel still, uh, really document like, okay, what worked, how much did it cost, what didn't work. So then you kind of like double down on what did work, and then you kind of continue doing that until you have like three, four, five channels that really, really work. Um, and we did that, and the idea is that um, it's very unlikely that you're going to find a growth channel that has worked for other people that will work for you because they've probably sort of really, really milked the cow. And uh, there's, there's definitely like a first mover advantage. So you're going to find places that nobody else is looking. And that's where you're going to find your users. And so our first couple thousand users were probably friends and family, as is normal. Um, but then the next like 2,000, that was like the very first big hit, was a men's lifestyle blog. And it was literally just about cars, Instagrams, and like totally unrelated to finance. And it, it, was, it said, this, uh, every gentleman should have this newsletter in their inbox. And that was it. And then um, that gave us overnight 2,000 people. And then we, and it's kind of like now when I interview growth people, and they're like, oh, you should go on to the FT. And it's like, no, like that's exactly where we shouldn't go because that's, that's sort of the intuitive way. You need to find, like, where is your target user? Where do they hang out? Um, and and where is maybe other people aren't looking? That's not cool stuff. Exactly. Yeah. And so the next thing was pretty standard. We did product hunt. That was kind of, the, we did the classic thing where one day we were on product hunt and we were not notified that we were on product hunt. And then the, the girl who put us on there was like, yeah, you should probably like write some text and maybe put some images on there. And you know, product hunt is this, like sort of a machinery where people like repair this for like months and weeks and whatever. And we were just on there and we're like, fuck, we need to like now start putting, Im we didn't even have images. So we created all these images and we literally were there all day like telling people like, hey, check this out, check this out, up photos. That gave us like another 2000. And then sort of fast forward, we like tried out all these different things and then we identified a few channels that worked. Like in the beginning, blogs really worked. Then you see like over time that kind of flattens off. And then you kind of like need to keep digging and finding new growth channels because you'll probably never find a growth channel that will always work for you. At some stage, there will be like diminishing returns. So now if we get 2,000 um, signups, you know, we don't really even notice it. Um, whereas like back in the day, that would have been like incredible. Um, and so it's just like this constant hustling of finding new channels. You know, FinTech is, is classically, again, something I didn't know when I started is classically a scale business, um, and so you need a lot of users. Um, and I think the only company that's ever really hit scale is PayPal um, in fintech, and maybe there's some other few exceptions. And so I think you really want to get into like the multi-millions, tens of millions, uh, in order to build a profitable business. So our sort of slogan is, we want to empower you to become your own financial advisor. Um, and this is, again, uh, something that came out of like speaking to our users, where we started off by like testing, like, hey, what if we tell you you should be doing this? And people said, like, no, I really want to figure out what I should be doing myself. I want to understand it, and I want to understand the why. You know, in the email, we always have, like, why should I care? And that's what people like the most. And so on the platform, we help you understand why you should be doing something. And we tell you, this is best practice. This is maybe not so clever. But ultimately, you have to make the decision, because the people that we're targeting uh, are smart people. They, you know, they just haven't really been, been taught finance. And so it's much more like we provide you the platform, the tools, the guidance, the best practices. Ultimately, it's your life. Um, 
financial planning, financial advice is, is a, probably more of an art than a science. Um, so there isn't sort of a right or wrong answer. Uh, all that we want to do is sort of guide you through the financial jungle. So uh, I think we're now close, we're around about 10 people maybe. Uh, all, a lot of them are sitting there. <laughs> and uh, we are very actively hiring. Uh, we're looking to especially hire engineers, some growth people, uh, analytics people. Um, so hopefully by the end of the year, we'll be somewhere between 15 to 17 people. Um, and then our idea is to basically launch the product in the UK and then sort of really figure it out here and then start moving into other markets as well um, with the platform. Yeah, so I think from day one, we really try and focus on the mission. Um, so at DineDeal, we just, we like wrote down our mission like five, four or five years in um, because it was kind of like, oh, we need a mission. <laughs> Um, which for an e-commerce company, it probably works easier. Um, so like really define the mission. Then we have like very, very clear sort of, we have a culture manifest, like this is who we want to be. These are the people we want to hire. This is how we want to go about things. Uh, really put it on paper to not risk hiring people that might derail all of that and that might sort of, you might um, be opportunistic and short and short sort of sided. Um, and then build a company where like two years down the line, you're like, ah, oh, actually, I didn't really, I don't like this. I don't, I don't even uh, identify with this anymore. So be re really, really clear from day one, like what kind of a culture we want to build. Um, and then hire accordingly. Um, so, you know, all these people here are like absolute A players. They really believe in the mission. Um, they are super, super committed, super engaged. And I think that's kind of like what we're hiring for rather than like, oh shit, we need a programmer tomorrow. Uh, like we take our time, we probably interview more than we should do um, just because we don't wanna fuck it up um, because the first 10 to 14 people typically shape the culture of the company. Uh, and if you fuck up there, then there's no way for you to sort of uh, reverse that. Um, there's actually a really good talk on YouTube from uh, I think uh, Vinod Koshla, the founder of Sun Microsystems at Stanford. He's like, if you do that, then some people will think, oh, I can just take out the, the bad people later on and then I'll hire the good people. But the reality is that the DNA somehow, I don't know, sort of magically, it's just, it just sticks and you can't remove it. And so I think these like soft factors that when you're young, you don't really realize how important they are. Um, I think that's something that we're like really focusing on. Uh, and then, you know, just having a very product focused business. We don't spend money in marketing. We just want to build stuff that people really like, and then they will tell people about it, and that's how we will grow. So, yeah, I think a lot of more of these like soft factors, I think, uh, I've realized are a lot more important than people often think. You know, we have a lot of our users in America. Uh, we definitely want to build something up there. Uh, you know, we constantly get we constantly get people like today. I had a lady from East Africa. Uh, we have a lot of like people from India, like all over the world. People are like emailing us, like, "Hey, can you do this for for sort of my country, my region?" There's like a lot of demand and kind of like a pull. Uh, it's just a question of like, where do we focus the attention on? And, and, and that's kind of, again, what I was thinking, like these sort of more product-driven companies that, were, that are really cool because uh, they often focus a lot more on the engagement metrics than on just pure growth. And I think a company that does that really well or has until now uh, was Snapchat. So they were like, we don't really care that much about growth. We care much more about the engagement metrics. If the engagement metrics are good, everything else will follow. Um, you know, hopefully that will continue, but it's this whole thing of like build something that people really love uh, rather than like maybe 10 people really love versus like 100 people kind of love. And I think then that can then scale up a lot, a lot better. Yeah. We 
I mean, we have a couple of sort of revenue streams that we're, that we're um, planning on, on integrating into the actual app. Um, we, again, we, were, we could be very tempted to do advertising, but we feel like that would compromise the product for now at least. Um, and so when we build the financial plan, we want to be in a position on the one hand to help you sort of stay on track and like make it more sophisticated, make it more powerful. And then we are exploring ways for you to pay us a small fee on a recurring basis to get access to that. Um, and on the second sort of stream, uh, you know, if we're able to pair you with a good financial product or the right savings account or whatever it is, then um, you know, some of these products might give us a success fee. Um, and then you know, there's quite a few other things that we could be doing. Again, we are trying to like really narrow it down um, for now. Something that I personally really value and I think that's like really important is kind of like two things. One is just sort of a basic or like not a basic, but like a raw level of intelligence because, um, or actually, sorry, let me just explain both and then I'll say why. We're all level of intelligence, um, ideally like very intelligent, and then uh, this sort of um, hustler sort of uh, instinct or spirit. Because if you combine the two, that means you have somebody who's like really, really smart and who will figure it out, as I've been referring to. Um, and if you have somebody who's just really smart and isn't willing to sort of try things out and get your hands a bit dirty, then you're kind of going to die in vanity or like of indecision or whatever. And so like finding a combination of the two, I think, is like invaluable. We made the experience um, at, our, at my old company. In the end, we hired like really, really senior people. They were like super expensive. And most of them we actually ended up firing again um, because uh, they just they were like really good on paper, but they weren't like very good when it came to actually sort of doing stuff. Um, and uh, we found that actually if you have people who are maybe a bit more junior, who, but who have that like ambition level, and we have that drive, then oftentimes that will like yield way better results. Because at the end of the day, like there are a lot of exceptions, but like typically, business is just a lot of common sense. And sometimes you have too much experience, or if you're even too smart, then you lose that common sense. Um, you know, I give the, I give the example of the warehouse. Like I'd I'd never been to a warehouse. I thought it was the most boring thing in the world. At the end of the day. You know, the devil's in the detail, but it's not really that difficult. It's like, how can, we, how can you make sure that people deliver the goods to where you want to be? Which is, sounds really sort of straightforward, but like you'll find they just come a week later than they said they would. Um, like, where do you shelf the products? How do you make sure that they get delivered to the right person? It's kind of like, if you take a step back, like, obviously that's what a warehouse should do. You don't need like a rocket scientist to help you figure that out. Uh, so just like sit down, figure it out. And then, you know, once you have everything in place, then you can start getting in, like, experts who, like, okay, here we can, like, optimize this by, like, 5%, and here, like, by 3%, and whatever. But a lot of it, I think, is just pure common sense uh, and just sort of acknowledging that. <laughs> Two things. One is, or I guess you, it's just one thing, really. Uh, our users really want to be empowered. Like, that's just kind of what they uh, have, the, have, the, have the urge for. They want to understand. They kind of don't want to trust a black box that tells you, oh, you should be doing this now with your money, because you're like inherently a bit suspicious, like, okay, how does it actually know I should be doing that? I worked really hard for this money. I don't really feel comfortable giving you that. Uh, what they want to have is like somebody kind of like guide them through it, help them understand it, help them understand what are the consequences, what are the trade-offs, and make it really, really easy then to go and do it. Um, we don't think that a chatbot or whatever, like that's kind of an interface. Uh, we've decided that we want to build a platform that makes it easier for you to understand and for you, for you to feel empowered. We don't think that's the best, the chatbot currently at least is not the best interface for that. But at the end of the day, that's just an interface, right? And, and I think 
really what we're trying to do is do a holistic platform that really helps you from sort of A to Z. And um, there's nothing really out there that, that, that is doing that um, as of yet. I was very, I, I, from day one, I was like, at the beginning of the company, I want to have operational investors. I don't want to have like financial investors. Uh, I think those will be a lot more value add later down the route uh, or later down the company. Um, and I'd, I, and I, there's a huge debate about like, do VCs need to be operational or in terms of that corner or not? I personally think for the beginning it's better um, because uh, they kind of been through the struggle. Um, and then, you know, if you look at sort of the, the VC landscape in that stage in, in the UK or in Europe, there aren't really that many players um, or VCs where you would say like, hey, these guys are like world class. Um, and so then I started speaking with a lot of people here in the scene and I was like, who, you know, for some reason, like all the entrepreneurs were like, they're just really good guys. Like if you get them on board, they're just like cool guys. Like they um, will be helpful if you need them, but they won't annoy you. And they're, they like, they kind of like get what's important. Uh, they're not going to bug you with a lot of reporting or whatever. Um, and it was just like the, probably the one VC at that stage of the, of the sort of fundraising cycle. Um, where literally no entrepreneur said a negative thing. Um, and that was a very strong signal. And also, like, the, the thing that every VC likes to do is play these stupid games, and they didn't do that, where it's like, you don't hear from them, then you, you know, oh, you need a term sheet first or whatever. You know, they were just super straightforward, like, yeah, let's do this, and then that was it. I mean, we, like I said, so th the, the beauty of having started with this news product was that it was uh, not technical at all. So I did, in the beginning, like way, way in the beginning, I did all of the technical stuff because there's like so many uh, tools out there that you can use. Um, and then I kind of just reached out on Facebook to people who were like, hey, who knows finance? And uh, there were like five people. I mean, that's also the thing, like everybody then raises their hand, but like when you really start doing it, like very few people actually, actually get it. Um, and so that like very quickly became clear. You know, you mentioned Scott. He was uh, the person who sort of then crystallized to become like the best person out of that. Um, and now we have like a range of, of people who help with the content, um, you know, ranging from people who have more of a journalistic background all the way to, you know, we just hired a, a, an ex-Goldman trader who's, who's doing this with us. Um, so I think in the beginning it was really more like finding the right people, often through sort of personal references and personal connection and uh, kind of just being, being lucky as well. Uh, you, because the, the, the challenge with these people is they get paid so much money that uh, to join a startup where they're probably not going to get paid anything in the very early stages, um, you kind of just hit them at the right time when they're looking, they're already looking, they're already up for something new, and they're sort of in that uh, frame of mind. Um, but again, it came down to people. Um, so in terms of the launch date, so uh, we're not communicating anything because we're taking a again, kind of like an iterative approach. So the product is live. Uh, there are people using it. Um, and we're kind of like letting batches on at the moment. And we are identifying what do, they, what do they like and what do they don't like. And then we kind of try and fix what they don't like and then let on the next batch. Uh, we have now some more, more than 25,000 people on the wait list. Uh, so we, we have a few to get through. <laughs> Uh, hopefully, sort of as we go over time, we can let on larger batches and then at some stage open up. But we haven't sort of set ourselves this like big bang launch date. I think usually those don't really go that well. And then in terms of like the, the regulation point, um, we'll be very much driven by what the users want. Um, so if they want us to go much, much more deeper, 
then we'll, we'll go down the regulated uh, path. If they feel like that's not something that they, that they need in order to feel comfortable and informed, then we might not do it. Um, we're, we're open to it, um, we're not afraid of it, but uh, we're just gonna let ourselves be guided by user demand again. So I think in the very first instance, we wanna take away that scariness, um, and, and that we can do through information, through transparency, and through education. Um, and then, again, like how deep and how technical we wanna get um, really depends on our users. Um, what we find is that some people are like super technical, and then some people who are like super basic, um, and we have a very clear sort of target user that we're building for in the beginning at least. Um, and so we're gonna sort of, along the spectrum of like basic to technical, we're gonna uh, pinpoint there at the beginning. Um, but I think ultimately what we find is that everybody wants to delve into the really technical, kind of sexy, uh, oh, I'm stock picking or whatever. But what you'll find is that most people actually haven't covered their basics. Um, so it's actually not that black and white. Um, so we're probably going to end up doing both, is the short answer, um, doing the basics and the more technical stuff. But also I think, um, so just like two things on that that come to mind. One is we kind of just very much embrace the fact that finance is pretty dry uh, and it's just not that, it's not that fun. Um, and I think if you embrace that and you don't expect people from one day to the next to be like, oh my God, finance is like the new, I don't know, American football Super Bowl, then you start building the product around that. And, and so like the example of, you know, we just expect you to give us three minutes every day. We don't want you to give us five minutes. That's probably not that interesting for five minutes. Just give us three minutes, that's enough. Um, and then the second point being, you know, my favorite anecdote is one of our users, he uh, studied PPE in Oxford, worked at Bain Consulting, did an MBA at Stanford. And he told us like, hey, I can build you the most complex financial model in the world for like a Fortune 500 company but I can't build myself a basic financial plan. And, and that's where the paradox comes about. So currently our content has three different sort of regions. One is global, and then that's, as it says, global, uh, then American and, and European, um, with a, probably more of a focus on, on the UK than continental Europe. Um, and that's, for us, currently the focus. Um, like I said, we have a lot of demand from other regions, but we currently just don't have the resources uh, to do it, and it's not really our strategic uh, priority at the moment. I mean, we, we so maybe that's the last thing and then uh, we'll let you go, but uh, we kind of always imagine a user sort of standing at, at the subway or at the tube, headphones in, kind of like 50% attention span, and if there's one thing that you don't understand, like you're out. Uh, that's how we write, because that's how I consume anything as well. Like, if you lose me, then I'll go back to Instagram or whatever I'm doing. That's just the reality. Again, we're embracing the fact that that's the reality. Um, and then what we find is it's kind of interesting. We have anybody from like students who are like 12 in school all the way to like the most senior people on Wall Street reading us every day. The funny anecdote uh, that I can close with is um, we had a huge fuss on a Friday night. This guy, uh, this analyst from New York Wall Street calls us up. He's like, hey, my boss wants to speak to you. And then I was like, okay, what does he want to speak about? I don't know, he, he just really wants to speak to you. So then we set up this call, uh, boss doesn't show up, the analyst like, freaks out, he can't find his boss, he's like, oh, he, he disappeared. Uh, we then reschedule later on in the night, and then this guy comes on, he started his own hedge fund, he's been in the hedge fund business for 25 years, uh, he told us. Um, he got on, he's like, hey, um, I manage $5 billion in assets, I have access to all the financial information in the world, I've been doing this for 25 years, as I said, 
and I have never seen anything like the content that you produce. I read it every single day. I just wanted to tell you that. Bye. That was it. <laughs> so, reach everybody. <laughs> um, thank you so much. Hope you, hope you see you back another time. Yeah, love to. Um, hang around. We've got some beers here, guys. Thanks for listening to The Wagon Live. Tune in next week for another episode. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to our series by clicking the subscribe button.